On today's episode, we talk about e-commerce email marketing. We talk about strategies, tactics, and what to do in 2021. It's a great episode you don't want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And- Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. Hello, hello, hello. It's Kunle Campbell, the host of the 2x e-commerce podcast show. Now, the interview you're about to listen to is an interview I had with Chase Demond. Now, he, um, I'll put it this way. I have been watching him on the sidelines for the past 12, 18 months, and he has enormously grown um, in just recognition and delivery in his client base. I think right now his agency runs about 50 accounts um, for um, direct-to-consumer e-commerce businesses. And um, he's just all all out helpful. His content that he's putting out there um, has caught a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs. Um, and um, I would say he's, he's one of the top guys, the top people you, you want to listen to when it comes to email marketing, particularly on the Klaviyo marketing platform. Now, um, even if you're not on Klaviyo, he has some, some principles that ring through on, on, you know, other platforms. So it's more, um, his principles are amazing. So on, on this episode, we, we talk everything email marketing. We, we talk about, um, you know, revenue, how much revenue should be coming from email. Um, you know, we talk about, um, conversion rates. Um, we talk about opt-in emails, you know, how do you opt-in, opt-in forms, sorry. Um, what, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of percentage conversions you expect from opt-in forms. We talk about the three kinds of emails, you know, whether it's um, email flows, campaigns, and transactional emails, and we get into detail into every one of them. This is a note-taking episode. You just want to grab your notes and talk. I really drilled him in this one, I have to say. Um, we also talked about segmentation 
open rates. Um, we talked about profile enrichment. We talked about sender reputation, protecting your sender reputation. Um, we talked about A-B split testing. Um, we, we talked about deliverability. Uh, this It just goes on and on and on. And he just kept giving with the questions I was asking. And I was pretty impressed with the questions because I was going, I was giving him follow-up questions and really, really drilling him. Um, Chase, you know, Chase is very open. He, he just is happy to share and share and share um just give us insights from um his like we even talked from his from from the inside of his agency we actually even talked about um the structure of his agency you know how many you know accounts um do his do 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 the account managers have email strategies have how many you know email accounts do um designers email designers have this episode is it's just, it's a great way to start 2021. I have to say, um, I'm really happy so far. So good. I'm really happy with all the guests we've had, um, thus far in 2021. So season six is, is just blowing up and, um, enjoy this episode. Now, if you haven't already, um, to, um uh, there's a three things I'm asking. Um, one is subscribe on our YouTube channel. All of this you, you listen to on here is, is on YouTube. Um, the second I ask, I'm, I, uh, I love you to do if you, um, access this podcast on, um, on Apple, on Apple podcast, um, leave us a review, please. And, um, the, the third is just share, 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 share you know if this you know is giving you any value share it with your network share it on linkedin share it on twitter share it on facebook okay um that's it for now enjoy the episode and i shall catch you on the other side cheers what do sophisticated direct-to-consumer brands like colourpop hawkberry and custom ink all have in common well, they rely on Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform that powers over 25,000 online businesses. Klaviyo is supported by a dedicated team of experts, and it is a platform that processes and consumes more data than any other in the market. Klaviyo helps you own customer experience and grow high-value customer relationships, right from shoppers' first impressions to each subsequent purchase. Clavio will understand every single customer interaction and empowers brands to create more personalized marketing moments. When you have a 360 view on customers, the growth possibilities are endless. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to get Clavio's holiday planning guide. Remember, that is clavio.com forward slash 2x. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth, cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. This is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and big commerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches, and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. 
So here's the deal for Suexes. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, that extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind backups. Remember to head over to rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial. Welcome, welcome, welcome to X's. Um, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast here. And I'm your host, Kunle Campbell. And this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Um, so if you are um, you know, looking to grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales, do you know what I do? I handpick the guests that come onto the show um, to just share their expertise and experience. And my criteria to them, or my remit to them is one thing, you know, can they actually help you grow those metrics I talked about? And if they can, I try my best to bring them to the show. Now, speaking of which, um, I have with me today, Chase Demond. Now, Chase is someone who I've been following for the past one year, and I've seen him grow, you know, from the sidelines. You know, I followed him on Twitter. I think we're Facebook friends. We're, we're, we're LinkedIn contacts. And the amount of value he puts out there from an email perspective, from email in e-commerce is astounding. He is a, he's a, he's, he's a giant. He's a big giant. He's a big player in the e-commerce, you know, space. Um, he has, um, he's a partner in, in, at Structured with Nick Shackelford. Um, he's a top, which is a top, you know, e-commerce marketing agency. And since about 2018, he's helped client generates over $50 million in, um, in, in revenue attributable to, to email. Um, he has, um, spoken, um, at Ibex, I think, or, um, he's had clients such as the Chive, Original Grain and, um, Crossnet. Um, remember Crossnet was on the show, um, at the start of the lockdown. Um, yeah. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome, um, Chase. Welcome, Chase. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I am very, very, very well. I'm, I'm keeping well. It's winter here. Um, we, we just, we relish the, the sunshine, you know, whenever it comes, whenever it decides to, to come. Okay. So, um, yeah, I haven't done you sufficient justice. Could you take a minute or two to just introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to give you kind of a quick backstory of how I got to here. I'll take, you know, one or two minutes. Okay. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and Crohn's disease for people that don't know is inflammation of your digestive tract. And this was when I was 13 years old and from 13 to 14 years old, I was sick for the entire year due to lack of awareness of this disease. Um, So as a 14 year old, I made it my mission to educate other people that had symptoms that maybe had Crohn's or ulcerative colitis about this disease. So that way they could get treatment and help sooner. So from 14 to 16, I really dedicated my life to this and, you know, in hindsight, essentially what I was doing was guerrilla marketing. You know, I was phone calling friends. I was taking ads out in the paper. You know, I was throwing events. You know, I was asking friends mm-hmm. to bring other friends to these walks. So over the course of a few years, we were able to raise tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and through that, we were able to impact thousands of people's lives. And I actually became the youngest board member of the Crohn's and Clytus Foundation. Wow. And it's a charity that does about $50 million a year in fundraising specifically for IBD, which is inflammatory uh, bowel disease. So through those experience, I got to, you know, meet and work and kind of co- co- coexist with 
you know, leaders of banks and huge pharma companies and whatnot. So these people, again, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, essentially became my mentors, right? In hindsight, it's easy to say I was doing guerrilla marketing and growth hacking and had mentors. But at the time, I was just living my life and trying to better myself and others. Um, so from there into college, I had to help pay for my college tuition. So I was working endless jobs and internships, you know, accumulating skills, figuring out what I didn't like, figuring out what I liked. And that's how I got into, into marketing. I was working at a company kind of with a generalist. And then they started needing help on you know, SEO and email and all these things. And I figured like, oh, SEO is cool, but it doesn't, it's not really me. Or paid ads are cool, but it's not really me. And that's really where I found the love of email. And what I really love about email is the fact that it's one-to-one, but it's one-to-many. And what I mean by that is... So say, for example, you're on Facebook and you see an ad. Typically, you'll have your friend's post, your wife's post, your husband's post. You'll have all these distractions on your screen. Whereas with email, I'm going to hit a list of 5,000, 10,000, even sometimes hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And it's really just me and you in the inbox. If I can get you to open through the subject line, through the preview text, through where I land, I have your attention. And I can have your attention for two seconds. I can have your attention for a minute. It really is up to me on how good the content is within the email. And that's what I've always loved about it. It's really an intimate experience. You don't have to see what other people said about it. You don't have to think about other people and whatnot. Um, so long story short, I started doing email marketing specifically on the cold email side, where I was sending high volume outbound cold emails to build communities and newsletters and audiences. And I was doing that for a couple of years, you know, scraping these platforms and scraping that. And you know, a lot of the stuff was in the gray. And Nick Shackelford, who's been a good buddy of mine and you know, now my business partner, he was like, dude, the stuff that you're doing is so cool, but you might end up on the wrong side of some of these laws in the future. And this was before GDPR and California privacy and all this. Why don't you come join me in e-commerce? So I've been doing the e-commerce email side now for about three, three and a half years. So really long-winded. That's kind of how I got to where I'm doing today. And today on our email team, we have about 30 people at our agency and we work with and service over 50 clients. Typically, brands do between seven and nine figures in revenue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's so much to unpick you know, there from your, your journey from, from Crohn's disease, um, which I empathize you know, with you in terms. So do you live with it now or um, have you, does, it, does it ever go? Yeah, so it's something that I'll have for you know, the rest of my, my life unless there wow. happens to be a cure. Um, so for me, I have to treat it through through diet, through exercise, through keeping stress down. But I also have to get like an injection every other week, basically a shot every other week. And then I have to take medicine daily. So it is something that I do deal with, you know, day in and day out. Um, but fortunately, you know, knock on wood, I've been pretty lucky. A lot of other people have it awesome. worse. And, I, and if I knew that, right? Like there's so few people that are so lucky to, to have it the way that I do. But I really had to take it on myself to help those that are aren't as fortunate. Yeah. And, and so, so I guess you don't take gluten. Um, so I, I do have some gluten in my diet, but I try, I try to minimize it when possible. It's just hard sometimes to get away from certain types of bread. It kills me. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Makes sense. And so taking, taking your experience and, you know, wanting to improve the entire cause really drove you into marketing which which is fascinating in itself and and that core is is really important a lot of the time um so fast forward today with the e-commerce at um, structure there's a question i really want to ask you which is you talked about 30 people dedicated to email marketing on average 
um, with individual like, um, you know, um, account managers, how many accounts can an individual, you know, um, you know, manage before they just hit, um, you know, the ceiling more or less from a productivity standpoint, because there's so many moving parts in email if you really want to do it well. Yeah, that's a good question. So the way that we structure our team is, is this. So every single client will get five people on their team. One person will be an email marketer strategist, right? Really there to move the business forward, to focus on, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? What does the data tell us, et cetera? So that's, that's one person. And then I'll talk about each of these roles and how many clients they can service after. So that's one person. Then we have an email designer, right? So their whole job is to make the visual and the creative of the emails. We then have an email copywriter, right? All the written words that they're responsible for, whether it's the subject line, the campaign content, the flow content. And I know we'll talk about those a bit later. Um, we have an account manager. Um, so obviously someone that's taking call notes, that's doing the reporting, that's keeping the team on track. And then the fifth one, and this is something we have in most cases, not all, is an email developer. Someone that's actually custom coding the email. So that way it renders properly across all devices. Um, so dependent on the role, um, really depends on how much a person can take on. So account managers can take on the most number of clients because they're not necessarily actually implementing the work. They're more preparing the infrastructure and preparing the setup than they are the actual execution. So I'd say yeah. our account managers could work with about 15 to 20 clients. That's being on calls all the day. That's yeah. you know being in a project management system. You know, that's taking notes, et cetera. So they, they can work with about 15 to 20 is kind of what we've seen. You know, the email marketer and strategist can work with, with about you know six to seven, maybe maybe eight, depending on you know how taxing each client is or isn't. You know, the email designer can probably work with again, depending on the output, maybe six to eight or eight to ten clients. And then the email copywriter um, could probably work with about eight to ten clients as well. So okay. the email strategist and marketer can work with the least because they're they're doing a lot of different things that are kind of moving different pieces and parts. The way that we built it is almost like an assembly line. So people are so focused on their specific subset that they mm -hmm. kind of can just crank things out and be really efficient. Mm. Division of labor, fascinating stuff, mate. Fascinating. Okay. Um, and you work exclusively with Clavio. Why? That's cool. They sponsor the show. Not just that, almost every client I work with works on Clavio. So why Clavio from your perspective? What why not? Be, I've, I've come across some other agencies that are, what do you call it again? They say they're, they're platform um, agnostic. Yeah, agnostic. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a couple of things. Well, for, and it wasn't always this case. So when I first started, you know, you kind of, you have to, to take whatever you can get, right? In the beginning stages, you don't have the luxury of picking and choosing. So in the beginning stages, we were using MailChimp, Clavio, Bronto, ActiveCampaign, OmniSend, like you name it. If a client wanted to pay us money, we would take them on, right? Because we were in the early stages, you know, we didn't have the, the pick of the litter. Um, but over time, as we use different platforms and as we saw the different type of clients that were using each platform, so what we noticed on MailChimp, and no offense if anyone's on MailChimp, it was more like the mom and pop kind of smaller stores that were doing email very infrequently, right? Um, a little bit more limited. And inherently, right, that, that type of client has a different mindset for growth than someone that's on a platform that's a little bit more expensive and more robust like Clavio. So for us, it was kind of the type of entrepreneurs that it, you know, brought. Um, and then from there, like its capabilities. At the end of the day, all of these tools are just tools and platforms. And it's really important that the person using them has the skills required. Although certain platforms like Clavio do make it easier to input and output things. So for us, Clavio just felt like it was the platform that had like 
it, it was taking steroids, right? They had raised a lot of capital. They had really focused just on e-commerce where you know, MailChimp was more broad. Um, and we just found a really liking to their system. Their team was great. Their support was great. You know, we became a partner. So then all of our documentation or training became, you know, Clavio specific that as we grew and as we scale as an agency, you know, now we get to be a little bit more selective and we only allow clients on Clavio because, you know, we're biased with our own personal experience, but also too, you know, with all the money that they keep raising, they're investing into being top of class. Yeah, they they want to be synonymous to Shopify email. Um, yes. That's what their mission statement, you know, seems like, and they're relentless in in making that happen. Um, what about platform e-commerce platforms? Do you do you verge outside the Shopify ecosystem? So we're not as particular about that. That being said, I'd say ninety percent of our book of business is Shopify. We do have some brands that we are working with in certain industries, like cannabis and CBD, that happen to be like on something like WordPress and WooCommerce, just because. Mm-hmm. When they first started, Shopify was not compliant for it. Um, from my understanding today, from everything I've seen, Shopify is now accepting of CBD in, in cannabis. Um, so, so that's why. And then the only other thing I'll say, going back to um, Clavio, is you know they had a little bit more advanced, robust systems, specifically on the segmentation. You could extract mm-hmm. a lot more in terms of segments that are smarter than something like a Mailchimp, and then also too like the ability to run A/B tests on flows. So it, it just felt like for us, like we happened to find Clavio at the right time. Um, whereas MailChimp was the other platform we we're using predominantly. And they and Shopify announced like a breakup and a split, you know, a little okay. while back in 2019. So that also too, you know, pushed us towards Clavio since we were predominantly using Shopify. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, I think we should jump into the the, the meat of this conversation um, as we we planned. And I really want us to to get into a deep dive so people kind of understand how you work. You know, your your it's obvious that your work ethic is, you know, right up there. Well I want to get into the flesh of things, right? Um so tell me when you're ready. <laughs> let's do it. I'm let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's start out with Revenue. Let's talk about revenue and um, email as a percentage of revenue. Um, a lot of noise out there is focused on acquisition at the minute. Um, and hardly, well, the conversations are starting to come on TLV, you know, um, you know, optimization. But, you know, and we know that the major channel for delivering lifetime value is email. So, when do you what what are the thresholds um for a um for for a company that needs help um in terms of percentage of revenue and then for an okay company and then for a best in class company yeah so i'd say on average and our goal with a client is to get them to doing about 20% or more of their revenue coming from email i'd say that's pretty typical on average we do have some clients that have come in recently right that are at 5 or 10% of their revenue coming from email and we have clients that are doing upwards of about you know forty five to fifty percent of their revenue coming from from email, um, and there's a lot of factors that play in, right? One mm-hmm. is how how hard and how many levers are you pulling, right? You know, if you're spending so much money on top of the funnel, right? Like the percentage, you know, might kind of weigh because email is a little bit lagging what we've seen. So if you're spending a lot of money on top of the funnel, we'll see email attribution kind of lag by about a few weeks. Um, and with other companies, right, that are kind of spending, you know, modestly on Facebook, I and mean, email is a really important channel. You know, email can account for a lot more revenue. So what what we do see at minimum month over month is a dollar increase in terms of email revenue when we do work with clients. 
And the percentage increase is, is, is variable, again, depending on time of the year, depending on spend, um, and also depending on like what is the repeat purchase potential. Uh, emails are really a great channel to drive repeat purchase. So things like supplements, things like skincare, things like hair care, right? With those types of clients, we do see email you know, being pretty solid just because people have to replenish it. And we have automations in place that automatically remind people when they're running out or when we think they're running out. So, so long-winded to kind of make the answer simple, 20% is kind of the revenue benchmark that we aim for with clients. Um, but email can scale, you know, as high as you, as you, you could imagine. It would depend on the business really, yes. essentially. Um, what are you seeing in fashion and apparel? So fashion and apparel, um, it, it depends on what people make. So for example, we were working with, uh, the parent company is called the Chive. They're like a men's millennial kind of platform. They had an e-commerce business called the Chivery. You know, they did about low eight figures in revenue. And email would consistently account for you know, anywhere from about 25 to 35% of their, their revenue. The thing about them is they have so many different SKUs that you could kind of technically be buying something from them on a weekly, if not monthly basis. Where with other fashion things, right? If you're selling, let's say, you know, a nice pair of denim jeans or something, you might only buy a pair on a quarterly basis or semi-annual basis, right? Again, it depends. You know, if you're if you're a female and you love the jeans, you might be buying it more, right? Um, but with with the chai, for example, I could say that on average they're doing about twenty five to thirty five percent of their revenue uh, from email. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, let's talk about email collection and then we talk about flows and campaigns. Um, so, you know, I I blab about the fact that. Um, you don't necessarily need to optimize for a purchase, you know, capture an email, you know, capture email. That's a micro conversion. It's a micro conversion. Um, from your perspective, um, how important is capturing emails, you know, without necessarily a sales, uh, some, I've had conversations with, with other, you know, e-commerce entrepreneurs who say the best way of capturing an email is through a sale. I beg to differ, but I would like to, to know your perspective in, in the importance of, um, just a strategy for capturing emails. Yeah. So I've got a couple of thoughts here. One, like everything that I do is so dependent on top of the funnel traffic and being able to take a visitor and turn them into the email. If, if I can't do that, you know, I can't do my job. Right. So I'm so dependent on collecting emails, whether it's, you know, in terms of a pop-up or a flyout or embedded subscription or someone entering their email at checkout, even if they've made it through the cart or not, or someone purchasing, right? Like that is crucial to, to my livelihood. Um, and there's three different types of forms primarily. There's a pop-up, right? Which we all know, it just pops up in the middle of the screen, right? It kind of takes it over. There's a flyout, which is a little bit less obtrusive. It literally kind of just flies out from the left or the right corner. It's a lot smaller. And then there's also what we call an embedded subscription form. Typically, brands will have that at the very bottom of their website. That's going to stay there. It's not going to move. Um, or they'll have it embedded within a blog post, right? So those are the three types of forms. And I actually um, had a call recently with the CEO of Privy. You know, we were kind of talking about different types of incentives and offers and how those typically convert based off what he's seen. And he talked to me about the three. So there's one that's just, hey, sign up for our email list to get the latest and the greatest, right? Pretty simple, not that exciting. He says that typically converts about 1% to 2%. So basically what that means is every 100 visitors will get one to two emails, right? So that's very low. He says an offer-based one, so 10% off, whatever, you know, that will typically convert between 5 and 10%. So for every 100 visitors, you can expect between 5 to 10% or 5, five to 10 people um, to give you their email. 
And the last one is some kind of giveaway or sweepstakes. You know, enter your email to win you know, this giveaway, the sweepstakes, whatever it might be. And he's saying he sees that convert in the low teens. So where, where we typically live is in between those two, the, the offer, right? If brands are willing and, and wanting to offer um, or the, the giveaway, right, is the, the other alternative. So that's how we think about it. Why are we so engineered to, to, to like, to just like gamification as human beings? Uh, the spirit, it's, it's amusing that the spirit stake is, is the highest, you know, as compared to, to, to the offer. It's just, it's, it's amusing. So you mean the, the spin, the spinning pop-up, right? So, so, so yes to that, those actually convert really, really well. I know with the Trivery at one point we had like 12 or 14% on that. So that's one option. The other option is just something that says like, you know, hey, Chase, enter your email to get a chance to win, you know, a right, wallet right, of the week. Right. Enter your email to get a chance to win this package of the month, right? So, right. so either or. Interesting. We had someone come in last year from, I think his name was um, Saksham from a company called Outgrow. And what they do is they use like interactive marketing content to, to, um, to, to, to retrieve email. So um, they could use a quiz polls, you know, assessments, giveaways, as you alluded to, contests. Um, and it could be embedded in various ways, whether it's a pop-up, you know, in content, you know, what have you. And he's, he, we didn't really get into the nitty gritty of conversions, as you just said, in terms of like typical rates to expect. But um, that was another outlet. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. Have you noticed how easily stores built on Shopify can be spotted from a mile away? This is because they tend to use the same themes, the same layout, and box standard product shots. If you're on a quest to build a fast-growing standout D2C e-commerce brand, your website should not just clearly tell your story, but should deliver a truly unique customer experience. That is why Famous exists. Famous is the secret to building premium, world-class brands on Shopify. Famous enables brand selling on Shopify to build compelling landing and product pages that include custom video, animations, and more. All pages built on Famous are optimized for storytelling, accelerate click-to-checkout conversions, and can be built without coding or development. You can try it for free at famous.co.2x that's f-a-m-o-u-s dot c-o dot 2x famous enables e-commerce teams build and launch custom mobile and desktop shopping experiences famous has powered leading online retailers like the honest company just fab fabletics and more bring your premium shopping experience to life in minutes to try famous for free Visit famous.co.2x. That's famous.co.2x. Clavio is the e-commerce marketing platform that helps brands build relationships with memorable email and SMS messages. Today, more than 50,000 brands like Living Proof, Hint, and Choppies choose Clavio to help them grow. Learn more and get started with the free trial at clavio.com slash 2x. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash 2x. The, the other question I had, um, which we're currently testing is, um, you know, Facebook has a lead gen objective. Um, would you 
do you work with LitGen um, with emails collected from off of a website on Facebook? Um, do they are they effective in the long term? Is it a long term strategy to just run a lead generation um, campaign for e commerce so you could you know put them into a flow or you know lifecycle marketing you know campaign at, uh, of sorts? Yeah, so I truthfully don't have as much experience with like the Facebook lead ad, you know, whatnot. I do know we've had some clients in the, in the past that had to learn the hard way where they did not force people to manually enter their email or Facebook would auto default their mm. email address on profile, which typically would be like an EDU that you wouldn't even have access to or an AOL or Yahoo. So I know from that horror experience that a lot of companies uh, are not a lot, but a few that we work with have burned quite a bit of money. And the open rates of the emails and the bounces were really, really high just for the reasons I mentioned. Um, so I do know, and again, I have a limited experience with this, that it, it is really important for these clients to make people you know, manually enter their email almost like they would like on a landing page or something yeah. versus having an yeah. auto defaulted or auto filled. Um, yeah. And we, we have done some stuff with that into like a welcome series or whatnot, but I truthfully don't have enough you know, expertise in that specific vertical to give anything interesting. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Um, let's talk about, um, um, about flows versus, you know, campaigns. Um, so what, what flows do you have as standard, you know, in with, with your, with your clients, you know, what, what are the must have, um, you know, flows, whether they're pre-purchase or post-purchase, how do you structure flows out, you know, if, um, I also come to you fresh, Awesome. Yeah. So to quickly kind of talk about th- those two, and then also there's a third, right? So the two that we focus the most on are campaigns and flows. And flows is basically synonymous with email automation. The third bucket and category, which we do work with, but we don't talk about it as much because it's not as you know sexy, is basically what's basically a transactional email, right? So these are things like shipping confirmation or order confirmation. So to mm. quickly talk about each one, and then I'll answer the flow question. So a campaign is basically a one-time send to a group of contacts. So think about like a product launch or like a holiday offer, right? You'll hit someone that's on your list that's engaged over the last X number of days or X number of months, right? So that's us pushing to the client saying, you should be interested in X, Y, and Z. Where the flow or the automation, right? That's someone that typically is on your list and they have to take some action or behavior that will trigger an email. Think abandoned cart or like a welcome series for non-buyer. And then the last category, the transactional email, that's like a shipping confirmation and order confirmation. Those typically by default are set up within Shopify. You do want to go in and kind of add some flair and some branding and whatnot to them because they're pretty cookie cutter and bare bones. That being Mm -hmm. said, I think it's more important to focus on the campaigns and flows first because that requires you to actually create them where the automation on the transaction side is already set up. But sure, you can make those better and you do want to make those better just because inherently they have such high opens. But to answer your question, so on the flow side, um, I'd say, again, there's a lot of flows. There's typically like, you know, a dozen, two dozen flows that will build. But if I had to give you three kind of core flows um, that you have to do first and at bare minimum, um, I'm going to talk about each one individually, but at the high level, it's the abandoned checkout, which is different than the abandoned cart. It's the welcome series for non-buyers. And it's kind of some basic post-purchase. So let's talk about the welcome series for non-buyers. So that really is important in terms of all the pop-up and the email collection that we talked about. That's how someone will enter your list and they expect to receive content. So typically, we'll send four emails for this welcome series. Um, and it, at any point, if someone purchases in the welcome series, we will pause the next welcome series emails and instead 
push them into the post-purchase, right? We don't want to send them yep. emails that are geared for people that have not purchased, et cetera. So the first email in the welcome series for non-buyers typically is a you know welcome, a thank you, you know, here's a little bit more about us. And then it's delivering any of the value proposition that you promised upon entry. Here's 10% off. Just to let you know, you've been confirmed to enter this giveaway. Hey, here's this content piece, You know, whatever it might be. That's email one. Email one traditionally has the highest opens, the highest click-through, the highest placed order, and the highest revenue because most clients are using some kind of discount. right? So that's what people signed up for. That's what they expect. And they'll usually buy from that email. Um, email two typically is like, here are the benefits from shopping with us. Right? Customers want to know what's in it for them. Here's what's in it for you. Here's how we're different from our competitors. Here's a little bit more about our, our origin story. Email three is all about social proof, right? We've been featured in this magazine. We've had 5,000 customers give us five-star reviews. Now we're in 1,000 Nordstrom's. And here are some of our popular products. And then the fourth email is basically, hey, you haven't purchased by now. That's totally fine. Why don't you learn more about our community? Join us on Facebook and our group. Follow us on Instagram. Shoot us any questions you have, etc. Right, so that's really kind of core and a really top producing flow and a top, you know, engaging flow. And those are going to set up the relationship with your subscribers. So that's one. You have then the abandoned checkout, which again is different than the abandoned cart. So um, the abandoned checkout. Yeah, a lot of people make that mistake, you know, um, where they they just so think people. it's one and the same. So many people. I, I mean, over the past couple of years, I have worked with probably over a hundred e-commerce brands and have probably audited and looked inside. 200 to 300 accounts. And that is probably the biggest missed opportunity that I see consistently. Like that alone, depending on your size, like if you're a seven, eight, nine figure store and you don't have that, you know, you're easily leaving conservatively even thousands of dollars a month on the table, right? Like we have some clients that are even doing 10, 25, $50,000 a month from the abandoned cart. Obviously these are eight and nine figure stores, yeah. um, but the abandoned checkout fires in one of two ways. Someone is already on your list and they start checkout and they don't purchase. Or if someone makes it through part of the checkout where they enter their name, their phone number, their email, and they don't order, um, that will fire it. Where in all these other cases, you know, the welcome series for non-buyers, the abandoned card, the browse abandonment, you know, these types of things require people to be on your list. Could you explain to, to listeners a difference between an abandoned cart and an abandoned checkout flow? So, yes. Yeah, so and when to use it and when, which should override, which is more important? Absolutely. So I'm actually going to walk you through um, like the, the sequence. And the, there's four abandoned flows. Most people actually only know about two or three. So if you think about the customer journey, right? Someone comes to your website, um, the most number of people, right? Are at the top of the pyramid on your website, right? And as you go through each step, as there's friction involved, less and less people make it down to check out and ultimately purchase. So at the top, you have people looking at your website. Then from there, if they're interested, they'll typically look at some kind of collection of product page. Right? So they'll go for collection, and then they'll specifically look at individual products. right? And then from there, if they're further engaged, they'll actually add something to their cart. And if they're even further engaged, they'll then start checkout, and then they'll ultimately buy. So at each of those steps, at each of those, you have a lot of drop-off. So the one at the top that most people don't know about, and this one's really creepy, I'd be surprised if anyone's talked about in the show, is called a site abandonment. Has anyone talked about what's called a site abandonment email? Um, no, just a browse abandonment, not sites yes. abandonment. Yeah. Cool. I always like sharing new things then. So uh, the site <laughs> abandonment is one above the browse abandonment. Then you have the browse okay. abandonment and then the abandoned cart and abandoned checkout. So essentially the site abandonment in Clavio is, it takes the trigger if someone is active on your website and then they don't meet these criteria. They've not viewed a specific product They've not added to cart. 
they've not started checkout and they've not purchased. So it's kind of creepy, but one really cool thing we did. So with the Chivery, again, I mentioned they sell a bunch of different types of t-shirts and apparels. They've got funny t-shirts, drinking t-shirts, fishing t-shirts, et cetera. Essentially what we've done um, throughout kind of COVID and quarantine is, hey, click on your favorite quarantine snack and we'll recommend you a shirt that you might like. So if someone clicks on, let's say, the picture of their favorite snack is Lay's potato chips, we might send them you know, a drinking t-shirt. You know, if someone clicks on, let's say Oreos, right? We might send them a drinking t-shirt, right? Like whatever, whatever it might be, um, we'll send them specific there. And just because it's so outrageous and, and out there, we're having a lot of opens and a lot of click-throughs and we're having some place conversion. So I think we have about a five, like a half a percent conversion on that email, but the, the open rates and the click-throughs are like 50% open rates and like eight or 10% click-throughs. And the importance of that email is pushing people to the next bucket, right? So if we can get yeah. people to click on something and view a product and we can get them to add to cart, then our abandoned cart and other things are going to kick in, right? We can move people along the funnel. That's really what these abandoned flows are built for is moving people one or two or three steps further down the funnel. Yeah. So if someone's active on your site and viewed a product, instead of sending the site abandonment, you're going to hold and pause that. You're going to send the browse abandonment, right? And that's if people okay. have not added to cart and not started checkout. Right. So you're going to send the browse abandonment. Hey, saw that you're looking at these products. You know, they're selling out fast. We've got limited quantity. Oh, by the way, here's 10% off. Like whatever it might be, it's showing people dynamically the product or the products that they viewed um, and trying to push people again further down the funnel. And then in the abandoned cart, if people have added their to their cart, which is the trigger, and they have not started checkout and they've not purchased, and if they've done those other two, again, pause those and send the abandoned cart. You want to prioritize the one that's furthest down the funnel. So that way you can communicate to people with where they're actually at. And then the abandoned checkout is for people that have added to their cart, started checkout, but not purchased, right? So there's this, yeah. these little nuances and they all are based off the trigger or the action that people take. So you want to have flow filters on each one, which is pretty you know, simple to do. I know it's kind of sounds confusing, um, but have flow filters in place so that way people don't receive the site abandonment, the browse, the abandoned cart, and the abandoned checkout one go. That basically yeah. be four emails from you, which would be a terrible experience. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, how do you how do you distinguish your dedupe welcome series from like site abandonment? You know, which comes which has more priority? Yeah, so typically we will wait for people to go through the, the welcome series um, and, and whatnot before they could receive the site abandonment. Um, that's typically how we we think about it. Um, and most people aren't going to do the site abandonment probably for for a while. So having that filter in place that people have completed the welcome series is really important. And it's as simple as basically tagging a, a property profile on someone's account that just says Chase has completed the welcome series. And then you can run a segment. Feed him into filter. It. Okay. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So it's like a pipe between flows. Okay. Makes sense. Exactly. And, and reasons that people would you know receive a site abandonment is maybe they saw a retargeting ad or something came back to your homepage, but didn't do anything else. Or maybe you even sent them to like a blog page, right? The whole the goal wasn't to send them to a product page, but maybe you sent them to like a blog piece of content. They read the blog piece of content. Then you want to follow up with them after they've read some content with some product, right? Those types of things. Like that's kind of traditionally what we see. Speaking of blogs, do you have any clients that have really high traffic blogs? Uh, And what are they doing with it from an email collection point? Is it sort of looping back to the more transactional areas of their website? So uh, there's two that come to mind. One is the Chive, right? Again, like they... Mm -hmm. But, but the interesting thing about them is the Chive is a separate property than the Chivery. So they almost have like the blog or like a media property 
And then they've kind of have commerce, you know, in between. So in their daily newsletter for the chive, they have an insert at the very bottom of like a plug to the chivery. So that's how they go about it, right? They produce content on the chive and then they funnel people through emails at the very bottom of like the product of the day or the product of the month or the product of the week to, to the chivery. That, that's one example of two different sites. Um, the other site that comes to mind is we worked with a company called uh, Home Life Media. They own iHeartDogs.com, iHeartCast.com. They own a bunch of really cool properties in the pet space. They're like big uh, Facebook pages, aren't they? iHeart huge. Um, Pets and huge. Yeah, I, yeah I, that's it how they just started. Rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it started uh, oh, on okay. Facebook pages and with Facebook groups. I don't know the specific number, but they probably have millions, if not tens of millions. Millions, yeah, social. because they're, they're an interest in Facebook. <laughs> yes, yes, they're, they're a target interest in Facebook. You know, when you yeah, and they, they own a bunch of different without giving too much away they have like a cbd business they have you know mm. senior dogs they've got like all these properties and these groups and these facebook pages and these instagram accounts right so for them they're one site that is part uh content and media and blog and then part commerce and majority of their revenue does come from commerce so it's something that they do heavily push but they'll have like pop-ups for like content and whatnot you know enter your email to see you know, 10 cool pictures of cats or 10 cool pictures of dogs. So they kind of have a really nice mix where like the emails rotate between um, specifically education content and then kind of specifically selling and then hybrids. Does that route into like a Clavio flow when they capture an email in their blog? Correct. Yeah, correct. They have like an education flow or like a welcome mm-hmm. series or a nurture. They actually send daily campaigns, which is pretty crazy. Most brands don't, but because they have so much scary. Content, yeah. yeah, it's scary. But like, so going back to the revenue percentage as well, the revenue that you drive from email also is dependent on, on how frequently you send, how big your list is. And that also mm-hmm. determines the weight between revenue being produced from campaigns as well as revenue being produced for flows. So in the case of like the Chivery and iHeartDogs, they have such big lists. They have million plus people lists and they send very frequently. I don't remember the Chivery's exact cadence. I think they're sending daily or every other day. So the weight of their campaign revenue is a lot bigger than their flows just because they're pushing to so many more people every single day um, and whatnot. But but the I Heart Dogs, I won't give away their specific numbers, but they're doing you know, 40, 50 percent sometimes of their revenue from email. And it's it's sizable. It's very sizable. Super, super interesting. Super, super interesting. Okay. Um, so we 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 talked about um we, we talked about the flows that you were at um the abandoned cart. Park and checkout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and checkouts, yeah. So I, I think we're probably mostly good there. Just to round that out okay. and talk about the last flow I wanted to talk about um okay. was Again, like you want to dynamically show people the product, their products they've left behind, leverage any kind of social proof, whether it's in the form of testimonials, reviews, press mentions, you know, et cetera. And you want to introduce some kind of, you know, scarcity if you're leveraging offers, you know, discount expires in 24 hours. And you could even have a countdown timer in the email that basically as soon as someone opens it, they'll see the timer counting down, you know, from 24 hours. So those are kind of the, the abandons, right? So the welcome series for non-buyers, that's pre question. So a yes. question, um, I've come across brands that are very hesitant in, in giving an offer in, um, in the abandoned cuts and abandoned checkouts um, because they think they're training people to abandon their cuts and checkouts. Would you agree with that, um, with that opinion? Or um, what, what do, do you, would you just ascribe to always having that incentive to, to what, you know, get in that sale? I live somewhere in the middle. Um, I think customers, unfortunately, are already trained to check those emails. It may differ based on brand, right? So someone might abandon your checkout and then realize you don't have a discount 
and then maybe buy without a discount, or maybe they might not buy, right? Maybe they might go to your competitor that has a similar product and then has a discount. It's a little bit cheaper. So it really depends on like the brand affinity, right? We work with some brands that have such cult like followings, like irrespective of a discount, people are going to buy over you 10 out of 10 times than your competitors. One example, um, again, I don't necessarily know who their competitor is. We work with a really fun brand called Nugs and it's not marijuana. It's the chicken nugget alternative. It's Eat nugs? Have you seen yeah, that brand? Nugs. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Um, I'm in the UK, but I've heard I've, it's so it's so popular. I've heard of it several times on on Twitter in the DTC e-commerce space. Yeah, and, and we do a really great job with them. We can't take the credit. They have such a great cult following. They've got such great assets and content. For Why? Yeah. How could you explain the whole nugs thing to me? No one's explained it to me. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it taste? Is it what is it? Why are they so popular? Again, like, well, um, one, I think branding. Uh, I think they've done a okay. really great job with the branding and positioning. I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Two, um, they've got really key, like, influencers and people that have invested oh. and also rep the product. Um, I don't know. I'm blanking on his name, but I think he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger's, like, son or oh. nephew or something that's invested in it. He's on Twitter. Um, they've had some of, like, the Hadiths. I don't know if they've invested in it, but they've posted it. And they do a lot of drops that are very scarce. Like, for example, they did this craziest thing, and I might butcher it, um, but they relaunched the spicy nugs. And the way that they did it was you had to A, uh, follow them on Instagram, turn on push notifications. And then they did some crazy thing with OnlyFans, like where you had to sign up on OnlyFans or something for free <laughs> um, to be notified. They're OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, they're OnlyFans. Um, so, like, they just did crazy Hilarious. stuff like that. Like, they dropped a thousand of them. They let the people that they have a subscription, a monthly subscription. They let the people that are subscribers to the monthly subscription get access first. They only did a thousand. And then there's hilarious stuff. I don't know whether it's true or not, but like people are selling spicy nugs on eBay for like a hundred dollars a box. So they really built the story and this following. And if you look at how they engage on social, they really don't give a shit. Like they, they'll call people out. They'll make fun of people. They're, they're just, they're authentic. Right. And, oh, and it, oh, right. when you're authentic, you really push people in one of two directions, right? They either love you yeah. or they hate you. Hate you. So yeah. A lot of, a lot of us, right. Are indifferent to brands, you know, with the exception, right? Like Nike, you know, I, I love, right. A lot of people love Nike and obviously yeah. they're a very rare case and other brands. It's like, you know, I don't care if I'm buying this t-shirt or that t-shirt, like whoever has yeah. the best deal and whatever ad I see, I'm going to buy. Um, yeah. So I, I think the brands that can make you feel a certain type of way and can do certain things. And again, it's a psychological thing. It's feel. It's feelings. It's feelings, man. It's feelings. All yeah. about feelings. <laughs> exactly. By the way, we went on this rampage. I don't remember what the question was. I'm so excited and so passionate about this. Uh, the question, if I can remember, was around um I've freaking forgotten now. Um You're not too excited. Was, exactly, exactly. Um it was yeah. We we were talking about abandoned checkouts. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. And, and, offers and, and we're like talking about offers and abandoned checkouts exactly yes. yeah so um, so again like it depends on the brand like if you're a brand that people know is a discount brand and i don't mean that meanly right if you're if you're giving discounts off in your welcome series if you're giving discount off in your campaigns you should be consistent and give it to people um when they abandon checkout right however we yeah. do work out with other brands that a have never given a discount or b have kind of seldomly given a discount right like the only time they discount is like black friday cyber monday because mm-hmm. they have to um, with, with those brands, like you have to very focus on like the value propositions and the benefits and the social proof and those types of things, right? Like the intangibles. Um, or if you're a brand that's kind of somewhere in the middle, 
and say you have a three-part abandoned cart or three-part abandoned checkout, you know, the first two emails can be trying to win people to buy the sale uh, without any offer. And then the third email, if they have not converted, basically could be some kind of offer, right? So yeah. you can test the waters with no discount, no discount. Oh, here's 10% off or yeah. no discount, 10% off. Oh, by the way, third email, you haven't bought. We're actually increasing your discount from 10 to 15%. And yeah. we've been testing that with a couple of clients. And it's really interesting to see you know, how you know, it does or does not move the needle. In, in the few cases we've done, it actually has moved the needle because we've been so straightforward in the subject line is like, hey, we've increased your discount. Like people are just like, yeah. wait, what? And, and, and it has increased conversion, right? But the yeah. other flip side that we're still trying to run the numbers is, is the increase in conversion, is that still producing more revenue than the extra you know, incremental discount, right? So say, mm-hmm. for example, someone spends $1,000 at 10% off, you know, someone spending you know, more than $1,000 at 15% off to kind of make up for it. And that's kind of where the jury's still out. I need this. This is this, this, the follow-up question I was, I was about to ask you, which I'm going to ask you now is two things. Um, repeat customers. Would you, would you treat them the same way in an abandoned, you know, um, checkout or abandoned carts flow and two monetary value. Do you run any so split test on, um, because this guy's about to spend, I don't know, two grand and your AOV is 500. Let's yeah. give him a different, let's give her or him a different kind of discount. So do you sort of, uh, uh, there are many ways to sort of flesh this, you know, yeah. um, to flesh this out, but what, wh- where would you sort of say is optimal from, from both perspectives, repeat customers and monetary value? Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. So a couple of things that we've been testing um, and, with, and within Clavio, basically all you have to do is you have to run basically um, a random sample on the traffic. So you can split it 50-50 to be able to A-B test some of these things. Um, so for example, like we, we work with a lot of clients that sell you know, in the US as well as kind of internationally. So we might do like a split. Um, in that case, it would obviously be in off location instead of like a random split. But in the case of like location, we might do if they're here in the US, we serve them one piece of content that offers them free shipping on top of whatever it is, or maybe it just offers them free shipping. We're on the international side, we don't ever mention free shipping or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been an interesting split based off of like geography. Um, mm-hmm. Another split that we were kind of starting to talk about and test is AOV. Um, less about like the extreme of the order and more trying to get people to, to kind of bump their AOV up. So, for example, say we have a free shipping offer at $50. Um, mm-hmm we might have the $50 be the split where people that are under an AOV of $50, we send them an email saying like, Hey, you're so close to free shipping, you know, add an extra item or two to your cart. Where people over it, they might receive no discount or they might receive something separate. So the offers might be split based off of AOV in the case of trying to bump people. It's like an AOV bump. Um, That's, that's one thing. Um, And then other times like, we will just treat people, you know, the same depending on like what the product is or or, or isn't. So so it's yeah. really like a case by case basis in terms yeah. of like yeah. how we how we split it. Um, and, and, and how's Clavio with reporting um, on on the test? So you run a test and you know personally the intention of the test. So you talked about the AOV one, which is like you know hit the threshold. You, you just spent fifty dollars. The threshold is seventy dollars. Spend an extra twenty. Here are a few things you could you know throw into your cart to the twenty, and they're relevant to you. Um, when you go into Clavio for reports, um, how how do you sort of check the valid the validity? You know how do you sort of get Clavio to give you the average order value across? 
you know, the board in that particular flow over a period of time? Um, is it, is it easy? I, I'm not, you know, too sure about, I, I don't know, um, much about that area. Is it easy to sort of, you know, look at the results and say, okay, this actually works. Um, so we're going to keep this flow. Yeah. So like, for example, the, the easy way to look at it, like holistically at a kind of a high level, um, mm -hmm. is if you go into the specific flow and you turn on analytics, you can see the specific open rates, click through mm -hmm. place order percentage in the dollar revenue, um, over like a, a period of time, 30 days or 90 days, whatever, whatever it is uh, on the email. Right. So for mm -hmm. some things like, Hey, you know, 10% versus 15% off. Like you could see like the conversion rate, some of those things. However, I think if you click into the individual email, you should be able to see the AOV for that email. I don't know. I don't know necessarily if you could see that in the reporting, but I think you could see it on the email itself within the flow. Um, so for example, like on a campaign, I know for sure, like we could see, Oh, there's this many orders for an AOV of $45. Right. Okay. Um, so, so you can see some of those things. Um, but again, some of the stuff is a little bit more manual and you kind of have to go check in. Sure. I don't know about more like any automated reporting type way to kind of like see that uh, and whatnot kind of granularly. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Um, so besides those other flows, are there any other flows, maybe post-purchase flows you think um, everybody must have? Yeah. So kind of just to round this out, I know we've been talking about flows for a long time, so we can move on mm -hmm. after this. I apologize. But um, on the post-purchase, right? I think the the bare minimum, you need to have a customer thank you. And we typically will split it based off first-time purchase versus repeat purchase. It's mm -hmm. so important to thank customers for their order. You know, mm -hmm. reduce buyer's remorse. It's going to set up the ability to hopefully get a customer review that's positive, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? Thank them from the order. If your product is one that needs education or kind of you know knowledge, whether that might be like, let's say, a CBD or a supplement or mm -hmm. you know, hair care, skincare, like you want to teach people how to use it. And by teaching people how to use it, they get the maximum value from it, which hopefully then turns into a repeat purchase. So by me telling you, let's say for you know CBD or hair care, skincare, this is how frequently you should consume it. This is how frequently you should apply it. I, I want you basically to use it in 30 days, right? Because I want to be able to get a purchase from you every single month. Hey, take this multivitamin once a day in the morning, right? Like people do that and tell you that, A, so that way you remember, but B, so that way they can keep selling you more and C, so hopefully... It, it works, right? It's really important to be consistent. So we'll have some kind of like education around the product. Another example that comes to mind is we worked with a brand out of Australia that sell weighted blankets. Um, it was called Calming Blankets. And essentially what happened there is we noticed a lot of people are reaching out with customer support tickets and complaints saying, hey, I don't really know how to use this. How does this work? So we took all those support tickets and we're like, what are the frequently asked questions or what are the frequently asked answers? So we applied that in an email Hey, while you wait for your item, here are three ways our customers have found success using it. You know, use it, you know, like you're like you're getting a hug from someone. You know, use it, you know, as a blanket, you know, use it to kind of like ground you, like what, whatever it might have been. I can't remember the exact three things. Um, we would give people like three ways and kind of some explanation of how people used it. And we saw that that decreased the number of support tickets that we were getting, and decreased the number of basically returns because people actually knew how to use it and they're mm -hmm. able to benefit from it. Um, so, you know, those types of emails, um, and then any kind of like cross selling upsell emails are important post purchase. So those are kind of like the main things. I know that was a lot that we would focus on. And then outside of that, right. Like, I guess I already talked about like the abandoned flows. There's like customer winbacks, there's breakup series, you know, the yeah. cross sells upsells. You could do flows, um, specifically based off what someone ordered, what someone didn't order, um, et cetera. So th there's a lot.
Uh, I'm going to outline everything you just said, you know, and cool. in, in, in the show notes. Um, so, so it's really succinct for, for people to, to read through when, when after they, they listen to this. Okay. What about campaigns? We talked about flows, which is, was hugely insightful. Thank you, Chase. Um, but, but what about campaigns? You, you talked about, um, you know, one of your clients who send emails every day. Obviously they have a large enough database and they have a yeah. large enough catalog to, to do that. But for, um, for DTCs that, you know, have a limited skew count, um, are very limited to what they sell. They could just be selling candles, for instance. Yeah. You know, w- when is it too much and when is it too little? Yeah, so I'll talk about how we gauge frequency, then I'll talk about buckets of campaigns. So mm-hmm. you know, the frequency thing is start with one campaign a week and monitor your metrics. What do the open rates look like? What do the click-through rates look like? What do the marked as spam look like? What does the bounce look like? What does the unsubscribe look like? Right? What's the conversion? So look at the positive engagements, which are things like open. Yeah. Click through. From a, yeah. 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 Open click through. Sorry. Go for it. Yeah. Sorry. So um, basically send one campaign per week and look at the positive engagements, the open rates, the click throughs, the conversion, the revenue, et cetera. Also monitor the, the negative engagements, the mark to spam, the bounce, the unsubscribe. Also look at customer support tickets. Is anyone complaining that you sent too many emails per week? Right. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's that's one way we look at it. If those metrics all look good, the benchmark typically for open rates is trying to get a 20% open rate or higher. The click through is going to vary, you know, greatly depending on what the goal of the campaign is and whatnot. But if you've got a 20% open rate or higher on it, um, and there was low unsubscribes, all those things, send a second email per week, right? Email two looks just as good. Maybe it looks better. Maybe it looks a little bit worse or, but it's about the same, right? Send a third email per week. If the 30 mil per, per week is where you see friction happen, if you see the open rates decrease, if you see the click-throughs decrease, if you see the mark to spam, the bounces, the unsubscribes increase, if you see the customer support tickets say, hey, I never signed up for your list to get three emails a week, what's happening? Then you know the optional emails per week is two, right? You really mm-hmm. want to focus on maximizing revenue by sending enough, but minimizing churn by not sending too frequently. So that's how mm-hmm. I think about the number of emails per week. I would say most seven, eight, nine-figure brands that we work with send on average about three to five times per week. Um, and we're hitting different segments. And then, and then again, I promise we'll talk about campaigns. The segments yeah. that we'll hit. Yeah, the segments, exactly. Because I was going to ask you about like, who do you hit? Do you, do, you, do you send the emails to all? Do you send it to engaged? You know, who do you send the campaigns to? Um, you know, the the segments, you know, I'm kind of like aware of is like a VIP customer list. There's the engaged subscribers. There's even engaged customers. You have like inactive, you know, people, yeah. and then you have low spenders potentially. So who do you, how, what's the criteria for sending emails um, if you're going to send it every week or, you know, more than um, once a week? Yeah. So you just named some, some great ones. So the engaged segment, by the way, segmentation is the name of the game of email. You do not have longevity of your email channel. If you don't segment your list, if you batch and blast everyone on your list, you might not be in trouble today, but in a few weeks, in a few months, I guarantee that you'll be in trouble by batching and blasting everyone. It is so important. I think that's the biggest change and also the hardest thing to get across to people. Um, when I first started an email like five or six years ago, you know, you could kind of just batch and blast your list and you used to be fine, right? There was not a ton of repercussions unless you were selling you know, certain things that you probably shouldn't be selling and you're kind of standing about it. Um, but that, that's been the biggest shift and biggest change. And the reason that people shoot themselves in the foot is they have not been able to grasp the concept of segmentation. And I understand why inherently let's, let's keep the number really, really small. Say you have a thousand people on your list. 
inherently people think by sending to all 1,000 people on your list, irrespective of engagement, that you're going to get the most opens, that you're going to get the most clicks, you're going to get the most sales. However, it it is this weird concept of segmentation of hitting the 800 people on your list or you know whatever the number is that are engaged and placed orders and certain things. Those 800 people are actually going to end up with just as many opens, if not more opens. Obviously, the percentage is going to be higher. The click-through is going to be higher. And the placed orders is going to be just as good, if not better. And people cannot wrap their heads around like, well, what about those 200 people that I paid to acquire? It's like, what value have they done from you other than making you pay more money to Clavio, right? No. Mm-hmm. Um, so leveraging segmentation is important. And again, you have to pick the segment that will allow you to straddle that line of getting a 20% open rate. That could be a 30-day engage for some people, basically, which means people opened or clicked over the last 30. That could be all the way up to a 120-day engage, right? Or And in between, right? 60, 90, 120, potentially a 150, right? So that's how I think about picking the segment for engage. And then building off the engaged segment, you want to do like the engaged VIPs. You want to do the segment of people that have purchased. Um, some other interesting things is gender. So in Clavio, they have what's called predictive analytics. So they could tell you the likelihood that someone's male, the likelihood that someone's female, or that, that they're unsure. So sending content to men in a specific way and women in a specific way, and obviously having it at default where if you know Clavio got it wrong. So essentially, all you have to do if you're sending to men first. Organize the men's products up top. Organize the women's yeah. products in the second category. For women's, women's up top, men's second. So you do have a fallback. You don't want to like trust Clavio 100% and look like an idiot, right? And really be wrong. Um, but like chasing should, that. Should we talk about profile enrichment real quickly, please? Now that yeah. you mentioned male and female. Yeah. So um, in the last segment, we'll talk about After that. Yeah. Um, is uh, one one that stands out is geography. So I talked a little about geography mm-hmm. in terms of like free shipping, but um, I'm based here in California where the weather is always sunny and warm, right? Whereas on the East Coast of the United States, like in New York, you know, right now it could be snowy and rainy, right? Yeah. Um, so on the West Coast, right? Like people could still send me an email if they sell apparel of flip-flop shorts and t-shirts and I'm going to buy it. Where on the East Coast, you're going to want to send those people beanies and hoodies and sweatpants, Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people could do a lot better job on segmenting based off geo. I haven't seen it enough. Um, mm-hmm. So testing with some of these segments. And then you asked about profile um, enrichment. Is there enrichment. a certain way to go with it? So, so like in fashion, exactly. Like you, you, you could have like a big fashion store that has, you know, male, female and children. And um, you don't want to send the same, as you just said, as you just alluded to, um, you stack up based on, you know, predictive and an, an analytics, but how can you sort of get, would you put it in the pop-up and just say, identify yourself, you know, whether you're male, female, many fashion e-commerce businesses do it. Or um, would you put a flow, a staged flow in the welcome series or something or in the post-purchase, you know, series to identify themselves? Or would you look at the products they've purchased in, you know, in the past to, you know, figure out, you know, what they, they, they are likely to be, I guess that's what, how Clavio's predictive analytics may work. Um, what, what would you suggest? In terms yeah, so, of like, you know, um, getting more data around a particular customer profile. Cool. I'm going to dive into all those. So on the finishing on the predictive analytics based on what you said, mm-hmm. I think Clavio is looking at product purchase, but also they're looking at um, basically people's names. And if, if a name mm-hmm. based off of, you know, some database is 100% male, um, mm-hmm. they're going to say someone's 100% male or likely male um, mm-hmm. or someone's, you know, female, right? So for example, the name Taylor, how, how would you know? Like Taylor could be a man or a female, right? Yeah. Um, but, but in most cases, like Mike, 
is a male, right? It's, yeah. I don't yeah. really know any women named Mike. Um, yeah. and right. And some name, uh, I don't know, Chloe probably is going to yeah, be most female. of the time a girl, right? Again, mm-hmm. I think that's how they look at it. They look at, um, like census data, um, and okay. see based off of the likelihood and whatnot. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then going to the, um, and profile enrichment, um, all the things you said have validity and those are all things that we do, right? So essentially, um, what category of collections one purchased from? They purchased from this male collection, this female collection. Um, you know, you could have what's called a radio button. That's exactly what you mentioned in the pop-up that you mm. have the ability to choose male or female. Um, that's another thing. But the other, looking at people's, what they even browse. The other really cool thing that we've done, um, I haven't seen a lot of people do this, is Clavio has the about the ability to automatically update custom properties based off what someone has clicked. So for example, mm-hmm. if you think about an email and someone has a header, men's, women's, children, and sale, right? So if you click on men, I can automatically tag your property that says, you know, Chase clicked on mail in the campaign header or mm-hmm. Chase clicked on, you know, kids, because I have a daughter, right? In the flow mm-hmm. header category, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's one way. Another way is so going back to the Chivery that I mentioned we worked with in the past. Um, we would, in the Welcome Series flow, we would feature their nine top uh, categories in collections and we would tag each of those. So Chase clicked drinking t-shirts in the Welcome Series email one. So then we know that Chase might be interested in drinking t-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. So there are different ways based off what people are telling us to their purchase based off what people are clicking without them actually even knowing. Um, Mm -hmm. Like we don't tell people these links are tracked, but this is something that we see and kind of parse out on the back end. So there's a lot of really cool things you could do to enrich the data, which um, really is the name of the game for 2021, right? Is Mm -hmm. how do you become smarter and who you're communicating with? Mm Mm-hmm. makes makes a lot of sense you know you're, you're judging people by what they do and not necessarily what they say they click you know men you know seven times you you know yes. you, you're sure with you know statistical significance that you know um you know yes. seven out of seven times you know they clicked on that so they must be interested you know in in the mill category um so exactly yeah, and round up the campaign i promised this a while ago but the campaign buckets that we send um, so there's a couple kind of high kind of overarching ones. So one obviously is like product or collection launches, right? People want to know about the latest and the greatest, you know, product launches are, are a great way to get people excited. Yeah. Great way to get first time buyers to purchase. Great way to get repeat purchases, you know, and whatnot. Um, that's one. Two is, is, is sales emails, right? Obviously everyone knows sales emails, whether it's a flash sale or, you know, a holiday sale or even just a holiday email. That's another um, education is another one, right? Whether it's, Hey, check out this blog post or watch this video, right? You link out to a video or even you just educate people. Hey, we're a certified B corporation. We really care about the environment or, Hey, we're Tom's shoes. We, for every pair purchase, we donate one. This is how the model works. This is what we've done with it. Right. Um, other categories could be things like national today is right. National today is dog day, right? That's, that could be a way to educate people, but also sell products for your dog store, um, right. There's like all these different types of, of, email, social proof emails, right? Here are all the reviews we've received, um, you know, et cetera. This item is back in stock. Like there, there's a lot of different buckets of campaigns that you can send. Here's our winter emails. Here's our summer emails, right? Um, there's so many cool things. Here's what this influencer said about our product. And you can show all the collection of items that that person's worn, um, mm. you know, so there's so featuring people in the community, like I could go on and on. There's so many different buckets of categories. So when people have the excuse of like, oh, I don't know what to send. It's like, there are so many things to send, like just press send and see what people like and see how it resonates. 
and then figure out the cadence, figure out all these things. So it takes work, but as you figure out what people on your list like, it becomes repeatable. Yeah, from, from from what you're saying, if you look at it in, on two angles, I'm just looking at it from a 30,000 30, viewpoint here. You 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 find a you know a threshold in terms of like uh, the number of times you could send weekly to particular segments, you know, yes. which is which should be planned out. On the other side, you need to really be feeding the engine with you know with emails you know, consistently. So do you, do you grow, should like email list growth be a metric? You know how we say, you know, what kind of numbers are you doing? You know, are you, what's your gross, you know, on a monthly basis or an annual basis? Should, should, should brands be really checking the growth of their email on a month to month basis? And should alarm bells be set if, you know, that velocity isn't there, isn't maintained or isn't increased over time? Yeah. So the, the way that we, I mean, we, we view ourselves as a performance agency, whether it's on the side mm-hmm. that Nick does with paid social, which obviously is, you know, as performance as it gets. Um, mm-hmm. And then us on the email side, like, sure, we make great looking emails, we write really great copy, but at the end of the day, like we are designing and building emails for conversion. So the way that we live and die with clients is based off of, you know, where were you when we started with you? You know, where mm-hmm. have we gone over the first three months? Where have we gone over the first six months? Where have we gone over the first year? Um, and, and the goal, right, is to hopefully see some sort of hockey stick growth over the start of working with us through the first year. Right. Obviously, right. These are not things that happen overnight. Like it does take time, but mm. you should be seeing the trend in the upward direction of making sure that emails attributable revenue is increasing the dollar from emails increasing. So, so yeah, I mean, we do weekly and monthly reporting with clients. We do weekly calls with clients. We are talking about how campaigns this week stacked up to last week, how campaigns this week stacked up to last month, how campaigns stacked up to last year. Right. And really making sure that we are moving the needle. And I think that that metric, that email number of emails acquired, is is a very important you know metric because it sort of you know it oils the machine more or less. Um, if if emails stop, you know, if you stop collecting emails, then um, you it sort of stops. You know, <laughs> the well, it limits yeah. you in 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 a way. Yeah, okay. you, email acquisition is huge. And then the other metric that we focus on is what's called RPR, which is revenue per recipient. You know, how much mm-hmm. revenue are we drive in per each user. And that number varies so greatly depending again on like the size of the list, the AOV, the repeat purchase. Like, um, it, it really depends. Like number of emails sent per week or like, so revenue per yeah. recipient is also somewhere looking like how much is an email worth to us? And I mentioned this before, but I was talking to the privy CEO recently and he mentioned based off the data that they have in 20, 19, I think he said an email on their merchants were worth like 14 or $16. And then mm-hmm. in 2020, it was actually worth like $33. So their, mm-hmm. their merchants actually made more money from less emails or, or more money from more emails as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, in 2020, and that could be the fact that more people were home, like, you know, looking at emails, yeah. maybe people weren't spending as much on Facebook. Like, I don't know exactly. We didn't, we didn't necessarily like make any assumptions on specific reasons, but the revenue per recipient, the, the value of an email has been increasing. Super interesting. Super interesting, Chase. I'm not going to, I'm going to have to be respectful of your time, but before I let you go, um, is there anything we, we haven't covered as yet? So we talked, we talked about campaigns. We talked about flows at length. We talked about segmentation. I mean, those are, we talked about email collection. Like those, in my opinion, are really kind of the core pieces of, of email. I guess the last thing would be, and I don't want to touch on it too much because we, we spent a little bit of time there, but not a ton of time there, is just making sure that your transactional emails look on brand. If that's even just swapping out the logo, maybe some background colors, some fonts, just make those look presentable. 
And one advice for people that are on Shopify Plus, there are certain emails that you can pause in Shopify Plus on the Shopify side itself that you can build into Clavio. That is mm-hmm. not something you could do with a regular Shopify store. So mm-hmm. like an order confirmation or certain emails, we've moved over to Clavio because we have more control over what that email actually looks like. And we can actually see you know, the people going into that and whatnot and optimize a little bit better. And that's been a really great way to push more product and drive a lot of engagement. So Shopify Plus people pause certain emails in Shopify after you build them in Clavio. That's a hack. Thank you so much, Chase. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll, I'll wrap up by asking you what we should expect ahead. You know, um, what should we expect in, from 2021 to um, 2025 from an email innovation standpoint? Would email continue being the predominant channel for, you know, lifetime value maximization? Um, what what kind of trends, what, what kind of trends are we to expect? Should, should, should e-commerce managers or e-commerce directors or founders listening to this episode, you know, expect, you know, moving forward? Yeah, I think the, it, I mean, again, I'm obviously bullish and also biased, but I think the importance of email in 2021 and beyond is so important. So Nick and I filmed some content over this past weekend about like iOS 14 and everything happening there. I mean, we feel really good as an agency, the fact that we have both top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel, middle of the funnel, right? For that mm-hmm. reason. So I think the importance of a brand and the importance of agencies that offer services, having some kind of retention arm is going to be crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, what I talked about in terms of like enriching data, what we talked about around enriching data, around gender, what people are buying, what people are reviewing, what people are located, like the more specific we can get via email, because I think we're going to be able to be less specific on top of the funnel around tracking certain of these things, mm-hmm. the better. And we could serve some of that data from Clavio into Facebook and other things about our own users around you know, retargeting and certain lookalikes and whatnot to be really intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm actually surprised we have not seen much of it or really any of it, but I think AMP is probably one of the most underrated. Yeah, true. Um, it's something that is accelerated mobile barriers. mobile pages. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And essentially okay. what it does is it allows emails to be more interactive. So if you think about the things that you could do on a landing page, being able to do a product carousel, right? So say there's yeah. a product that has five images, being able to click between products and see them. That's something yeah. you can do with an email. Um, they have the ability, so just like you're on a website, mm-hmm. say there was an FAQ section and everything was hidden. If you click yeah. on the plus button, it opens up a section at the time. I believe it's called like an accordion. Um, you can mm-hmm. actually do that within an email itself. Um, so there are a lot of really cool things that you could do within email uh, through AMP. There are certain barriers around you. You need to be technical. You have to have certain sending infrastructure, et cetera. I think that's really cool. I also have been seeing... Um, like some one kind of click checkouts, one click to buy within an email, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah. I haven't seen a lot of brands doing that yet. So I think like with new payment providers, whether it's like Apple Pay or Shopify Play and new technology, people are going to be able to buy within an email um, instantly yeah. and directly. So those are some of the things I'm looking forward to and excited about. Yeah, transactions are coming to email for sure. Even if it's not, even if it starts out with the one click, as you alluded to, eventually, it's exciting. It's just exciting, I have to say. Chase, it's it's been no no one's been this open in a very long time. So I you know I appreciate I appreciate everything you know I appreciate this time um, and um, all of the knowledge you've been able to 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 share with us for free. Um, for those people who want who love anyone listening now would want to follow you or is quietly following you where's the best platform to to follow your work um where you're on chasedemon.com i believe um but are you active on you know social media where, where would you like people to, to to follow you and um you know engage with you 
Yeah, I'm obsessed with Twitter. Like Twitter is my platform. I drop everything there first. So um, you might need to mute me on Twitter after a while because I post a lot, but the content's really, really good. So follow me on... uh, Well, appreciate that. Ecom Chase Diamond. So E-C-O-M and then Chase Diamond, no A in the diamond. So if you could link down the show notes, that'd be awesome. I will. I will. Thank you. I will. I will. Appreciate it again. Um, Have a good one, buddy. Um, Thank you so much. You too. Cheers. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.